Hey, what's going on? It's Bill Burr, and it's time for the Thursday afternoon, just before Friday, Monday morning podcast. And I'm just, no, I'm not just checking in on you. I usually am just checking in on you, seeing how your work week's going, the cubicle battles and all of that shit. But uh, every once in a while, we have a special guest, and this is one of these Thursdays. We have the one and only Steve Gorman, drummer from the Black Crows, uh, drummer, drummer with Trigger Hippie that has a new album out called Full Circle, and he's here to promote his new book, which I mentioned. Got an advanced copy. You did. Old Hollywood Bill over the summer. It's called Hard to Handle, <laughs> The uh, Life and Death of the Black Crows. And uh, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you, sir. And I got to tell you, dude, uh, I've read... <laughs> I'm not a big reader. Here we go. I am not a big reader. Here we go. And I have read, uh, you know, I read autobiographies of like Ken Stabler. What does it say about me that most people that like the book go, first of all, I don't read much. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Your uh, book. Yes, I don't. It's probably I'm, a, I'm waiting for the reading people to tell me it's good. Yeah. But I'm the pro- non-readers, I got them. <laughs> like, you got me. So I've read a bunch of rock dogs all the way yeah. back. I think one of the first ones I ever read was like Hammer of the Gods, which sure. is just a total... Yeah, shit know, show. That was a horseshit fucking yeah. book. Uh, yeah. Saying how they won the devil and all that. And I've, this, this, I'm telling you, this is the one as far as like if everybody, you know, they read the books to see, hey, what was it really like? Yeah, yeah, Did yeah. they get along and all of that? <laughs> and I got to tell you, man, the fucking vibe of this book, I just felt like I was friends with you for 20 years. We were in a pub. Yeah. Everybody had cleared out and you just let it out because <laughs> it's just like... There's so many epic lines. Yeah. Thank the one you. where the Jimmy Page thing falls apart and you just yeah. go, I'm not going to say names or anything like that. I, I mean, I you go read it. up enough. Go get the shit, book. But it's just like the Jimmy Page thing falls apart. Like yeah. the way that you tell that story when you were going to the payphone, it was at Hyde Park <laughs> yeah. in, in London. It yeah. was just like, I just felt like I was like, oh my God, this guy, if somebody asked him directions, might murder somebody. Yeah. And I just got to say, you know, as far as like, you know, when guys write these books, mm-hmm. because, you know, there's always been these, this band is done, it's fucking over, yeah, sure. we're signing contracts yeah. and all this shit. And then there's always that, you know, the farewell tour is sort of yeah. the big joke yeah. in music. And so I always feel like when I read these books that there's always that feeling of hope, well, maybe the band's going to get back together. So I got, I can't quite tell it the way Can't, i would tell it yeah no if i had a few pops in me but uh yeah. i don't feel that with this book steve i well you know i i'm not going back let me put it that way i mean right. i'm not you know there's uh there was not a th- thankfully when the band blew up in 2014 and for the reason we blew up which was our mm-hmm. singer decided after 27 years i'll just demand all the money that I don't know how you go back from that. You know, I don't right. know. For me personally, no, that's that's done. We're done. Like, there's not a chance in hell that you're gonna up you're gonna up in the apple happen? cart like that. How does it happen? Where like <clears throat> when the band starts out, I always feel like you guys. It always seems like with the bands, you guys are just starving. You're riding one van. You just sure. you like this pl- platoon with this common goal. Let's just get. That's how up I saw this, it. Yeah, that's how I thought mountain. it was. At what point? Uh, is it now that you look back going, oh, that was the moment? Or did you sense along the way when you start seeing cracks in it and people, uh, what I always call it, I call it like taking the ride. Where right. all of a sudden yeah. it's just like, hey, you yeah. know what? 
when I say go fuck yourself, it means a little more now. That is, yeah, and you start <laughs> yeah, to run. You just, you just start floating away. Like whoever's like, like, like those hot air balloon guys that hold yeah. the thing down, they just sort of let go, and you just float well, off into the abyss. We started seeing, or I started seeing cracks very early, but what I look at them now as, it's not cracks into the foundation of what the band was. It's cracks into the foundation of what I thought the band was. Oh, okay. Everybody was already who they were. And everybody responded to our success and our workload and all that in the way that their nature dictated. It just took me forever to recognize, oh, they were always that way. I thought, you know, it's easy to say, oh, fame and fortune fucks with people. Oh, so you don't, you don't no, go it, with it, that. No, it, 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 it just throws gas on a simmering fire that's already there to begin with. I mean, oh. you know, it's like when Mel Gibson gets drunk, he said things. He, I've been drunk. I didn't say those words. Right. You, know, you know what I mean? I've been that drunk, and I've been that angry, and I don't go there because that's not me. Right. And so fame, all fame and fortune and all that success of our early records was was a mirror for everybody. And so what it what it, what I got out of the mirror was, um, you know, a lot of uncertainty and 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 a lot of you know my response to people splintering off was to panic and freak out. And like I've said a million times, a band is a family. And when a band start when a band starts with family, it's really a family. Right. And when you have addiction in a family, you have codependency in a family. And so everybody brings their own bags to the shit show. You know right. what I mean? And mine was, you know. I'm a codependent guy who thinks I can make everything better. Right. <laughs> like, oh, here are the Robinson brothers, and they have right. their views and their issues. And I stepped in, and then, and then we grabbed a guitar player, and then we grabbed a bass player. Everybody brought their own shit. And so, so when the cracks start to appear, I look at it now as, oh, no, that's just that was reality tapping me on the shoulder, but me going, not yet, not now. I don't want right. to know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to will this into a better place. Well, I have to say the amount of times in the book – only reason because I'm a fan of the band, so I knew you weren't done. But the amount of times I got to give you got to give it up to what you guys accomplished as far as the amount of times sure. that you're right there, and then just <laughs> something fucks the whole thing up, yeah. and it's just like, oh, yeah. we're done, and then just something else came along. No. Like maybe that happens twice if you're lucky, but yeah. the amount of times that happened yeah. to you guys because that's the one thing that's only sad about reading the book. It's just like I yeah. fucking love the band, I love yeah. everybody in yeah, it, yeah, yeah. but like. But on the other side, it was it really was amazing to uh, just finally kind of have somebody just go, all right, this is what the fuck happened. And this guy, you know, well, this, just, this fucking asshole, he said this and this shithead. And then I'm fucking <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, it's basically how the thing is. It, it sounds like a like, like a conversation. So um, and I was uh, I'm really geeking out here about questions I want to ask you. But as far as like what it's always killed me as far as like if there's this uh, uh, huge band like your band and you got this killer drummer like you the the thing about it is is if you're like a killer singer you can you're like the way people listen to music mm-hmm. it's like it's the singer first sure so they in a lot of people's minds if you listen to it on like a, a superficial level they're the sound of the band yeah so a guy like that can go out and of get course. a bunch of hired guns of course. yeah and do that type of yeah. shit but then people always say about the drummer is like your band's only as good as your drummer if your drummer Without sucks it's true you're fucked but like i feel like well name a great band with a shit drummer they don't exist i know you there are, there are great bands whose singers weren't great Yes, you know what I'm saying. There's like I'm bands. I'm a fan of you, of those bands. Yeah, but 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 as but a band that you but but an all time in the all time thing. I have a buddy back in Atlanta, Teddy Murray, and he always said, "You got a singer and a drummer. Everybody else can fake it." Right, and it's kind of true on a certain level. But, but the thing but, is, when the band implodes, though, yeah. as far as a drummer then trying to be like, well, 
I'm the drum sound of the Black Crows to try and get another thing going. Like I, I was, you know, when you were saying, yeah, this panic, I can make it better. I can fix it. Yeah. Did, was any of that like, well, I'm the fucking drummer. Who's going to give a shit? If, if this thing, everybody goes and goes solo, this guy's the lead singer. He's right. like the face. He's always running his yap in the, uh, the interviews. So mm-hmm. he's kind of like up front in the fame thing and can kind of sustain something. Right. Because I, I, I no, I oh no, I, I was never. I I honestly never thought. I had fears that were primal of just my thing is splintering. Right now, when I took a minute and said, "Well, what happens if this goes away?" I I I was like, "Oh well, I can get another gig. And I'm good, and I'm and I'm a great member of a team. I mean, I knew what my strengths were. Right, and I knew that I could use those elsewhere. I didn't want to. I didn't want to go through that because." I always had the vision of, you know, I dropped out of college and moved to Atlanta to start a band. And I, the bands without I love. Without, yeah, yeah. without, without a drum kit. Yeah, yeah. Without a drum kit. One thing at a time. You got to get into a band before I commit to buying a drum kit. But the main thing I wanted to do well, my whole life was being a band. And a band to me is no different than a basketball team. I mean, I really looked at it like that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I looked at it like, I'm Bill Russell. And most basketball fans don't appreciate his greatness. So I get it. Right. I'm going to defend the rim. I'm going to get every fucking rebound. I'm going to hit all the outlet passes, and you guys go dunk and shoot threes. And I love that role. That's me. I got it. That's why people love playing with you. I got it. I'm under. I got this. You guys go do what the fuck you want. I'm not going to ever miss the one. We're going to be right where we need to be. And so that's how I played basketball. That's how I played soccer. I played sweeper. I was just like, I'm. I got all this, and I don't want all the attention. I'm happy. Like, let's go. Right. And then when I, you know, I saw Chris my second night in Atlanta sing, and I was like, that fucker's got something. You know, like, holy shit. And a few months later, when he asked me to play with them, me and Rich and Chris, you know, me and two brothers, but then Chris and I were like best friends. You had these two weird, you had brothers that were at each other's throats, and then I step in, and me and Chris became inseparable, mm-hmm. and we're just bad cop, good cop, whatever you want to call it, having a fucking blast. But then he's got his brother, so there was the, that dynamic of those two little two-man crews within the three of us. That that was very power. Looking back now, it's real. There was a lot of chemistry and power in that, right? Um, because we all brought a real intensity to it, and and we didn't know what to do with it, and it took a while to figure it out, and we needed help to figure it out. But it was built on a pretty strong. There's talent, but there's also desperation, and there's right. there's a lot of fuel to make sure this fucking thing goes somewhere, and that was all really special. So from the but from the jump, I was like, I'm in a band with brothers. This ain't about me on any fucking level publicly behind the scenes though we're all here together and by god i'm gonna have my say and i'm gonna will these things into and in a local band that was much more easy to do and and so i always wanted it to be that way like that that idea of you know if everybody knows their role nothing will ever stop us when was the first time you were in that band and you know i mean you have to go into it thinking i'm gonna make it 100%. 100%. I'm to this day convinced if I'd stayed in my original band, that band would have made it. Yeah. That's the only way you have to think. Well, I mean, I've, I've manifested a lot of shit from nothing. And I, and I realized early on, if you just tell people you're going to do something, it helps you to get it done. So yeah. go, go public with your stupid like, oh, fuck, dream. I said it. Yeah. That's, that's, why, that's why I haven't drank this whole year. I just told everybody at the beginning of the year, I'm taking this year off. I, well, I did this. I'm two years off, and I just are. said I'm I'm done, and and I had to keep saying it. But then it gets real easy. But like I I I kind of like watching people get drunk too. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny. It's like and I, I didn't think I could go into a bar. There was yeah. some times. Yeah. You know, I had a couple of uh, 
shows in Carolina, North Carolina. And uh, after my second show, Asheville, they both went good. I was trying out the new hour and shit. And I got off stage. I was just like, oh, man, I would. I would this is love, a time for a beer. Right oh, no, here. a bourbon. A bourbon, I even was, better. Yeah. And we were going to uh, Clemson, Florida State the next day. And we had it. We rented this house on a fucking lake and shit. And it yeah. was just cigars. The whole thing was yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And the guy next door had moonshine, and I was just like, <laughs> I was just like, can I justify this for the experience? Yeah, but yeah. I didn't do it. So, um, but anyway, so you manifest things. This is great for my listeners too, because I have a lot of, I get a lot of questions and everybody, and they're mm -hmm. like, you know, hey, I want to do this. How do, how, you know, can I do this? Is it too late to do this? And the answer is always, I've just been like, no, I mean, you want to be a high jumper at 80? Yeah. yeah. It's too well, fucking late. I, I Everything love else the, is I love open. the saying, the best time to have a great idea is five years ago. Yeah. I love that. But it's true. And, and But but you're going to be around. Five years goes fast now. And so, you know, I, I mean, from being in a band to, to then, you know, I moved to L.A. in 2002 for a few years, and I had this idea for a TV show. Now, the, the end of the story is nothing happened, right. but a whole lot of shit happened to get to a place where nothing happened. Right. You know what I mean? Like I, I pitched, I got deals in place, I put things in. It was like it was in development for a week, and then it stopped, and then people got fired. But that process really taught me that you know there's a whole, and I, I had already learned this, but I still learn it. There's a lot of people that just don't do, they just don't go. And so life rewards action. That's been my thing for a long time. Oh, yeah. Now, sometimes the reward is you get your shit kicked out of you. But there's, you know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. the reward is you get a deal or a door opens. But you learn how to pitch a show. That, that's what I mean. You, you learn, learn how, how to pitch. To, you, you learn, learn how, to, how to spin. My show didn't get picked up. You learn how to condense <laughs> ideas. Exactly. But I, I'm now on my second, like I have a radio show, Steve Gorman Rocks. It's a nationally syndicated classic rock show. After I had a nationally syndicated sports talk show. And those mm -hmm. things both started from me telling a guy, Hey man, I mean my my radio sports sports short talk radio career started because I sat in on an afternoon show in Nashville a couple times, and I'm the rock guy coming in who knows a little bit about sports and I can speak in complete sentences, so everyone's always underestimating you. Right. I come in, I tell some jokes, I'm funny, they like it. The PD of the station goes, "Man, you want to come back next week? I could get you on once a week, and we could even get a sponsor, give you a hundred bucks or something." And I went, "No, actually, I'd rather have my own show." Which, which, as I said it, I'm like, what the fuck am I saying? Right. And he goes, he goes, what's the show? And I said, it's musicians talking sports. And this is in Nashville. This mm -hmm. is 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And he goes, well, yeah, I kind of see that. You know, we have a lot of musicians want to sit in. Do you think you could really host a show? And I said, yeah, man, I was going to be a sportscaster. I was a broadcasting major in college. That was always the plan. Right. And I've got this idea. I've had it forever. Not true. Sounded great at the time. Right. And 10 days later, I'm like, this is Steve Gorman Sport. I'm on the air going, what the fuck it's am I doing? It's happened a lot to you. Like, I, well, remember, I remember reading in Modern Drummer. Yeah. Fucking late 80s. 30 years ago. 30 years ago. I didn't want to date myself. 30 years ago. And I remember re you had a quote in there. You would be like the band had that, uh, that first album that came out. And you'd been playing drums for only like three and a half years. You went I literally bought, from I like. I bought my first kid in March of 87. And Shake Your Money Maker came out in February of 90. I mean, it's insane. I recorded it in the summer of 89. So I'd been playing for two years when we made that first record. And went into a studio, had to play to a click. And, and, well, I went into a studio the first time to do a demo for A&M Records, and I'd been playing for three months. Jesus Christ. And was just like, okay. I mean, well, but you know what, though? Like a lot, but unlike a lot of musicians, I mean, I have my... I have my uh, my problem, I have a weird family dynamic, whatever. Everyone's got their shit they bring in and their issues. But I didn't have an issue of who the fuck am I? 
Mm-hmm. I, I knew who I was. And my, my playing was always, I always played like I played basketball. Like, just fucking be confident. You can fuck up, but don't be, don't question yourself. Right. And so when I, pl- and, and same in soccer, when I played sports, I would be nervous before a game. And I'd be like, oh, we're going to get our shit kicked, you know. <laughs> but once the game started, I, things slowed down. And I just did at least, I always knew what to do. And if I made a mistake, I just, oh, oh, I fucked that up. But it wasn't because I didn't know what to do. It's because I didn't execute. Did the guy recording know that you'd only been playing for two years or no? The guy, oh, well, the guy, well, my first demo was, which was, I wasn't even in Mr. Crow's Garden yet. They mm-hmm. had, a, their drummer left to go join another band that got a record deal. So Chris just was like, dude, come play this demo for us. And I said, I've only been playing for three months. He goes, no, come on, you can do this. And he said, you're as fucking good as anybody else around here. So I went into the studio. <laughs> I went into a studio with a guy, and I walked right over to the producer. His name was Steve Grumbach. And I said, man, I've been playing for three months. I am so far in over my head. So you just tell me what to do, I'll do it. But I have no – I'm flying blind. Mm-hmm. But I also had a confidence that I knew how to play, and I could always play a straight beat. Like, and, I, and I also – because I was starting at 21, I was smart enough to go. I didn't have those Keith Moon years in the basement by myself, like every other drummer, yeah. like Bobby Brady's just yeah. going crazy. Yeah. So I was making up for lost time. So I knew I just got to play straight beats, man. I, I, I didn't play a fill for a year and a half. I just played, I just played straight and, yeah. did, and tried not to speed up. That, to me, was my success level. And I could do that, and I could hit hard. And so I'd go see local bands, and the drummer would be good, but by the third song, you could see he was like, he's out of shape and then he was starting to question himself and I'd see drummers fuck one thing up and the rest of the gig sucked. You can see that. Oh, right. I always knew that because I'd, I'd been obsessed with drums. I watched drummers my whole life. I played in my head forever. I really did. And I always knew if I ever do it, this is how I'm going to do it. I spent years thinking about that. That's what you said in the thing. You know, I've only been playing for three and a half years, but I spent a lot of years thinking about Dude, playing it, drums. I very was obsessively. Like, I was like, what does that mean? He did it, something right. I really it, thought I was, I, well, I, I, I had a double life. I mean, right. I was living a full life, but really my brain was like, okay, so just always remember when you come out of that fill, you don't want to hurry around the toms. You got to keep it in time. I mean, I would literally go to gigs in college and see bands, and that's what I'd be, I'd be watching the drummer the whole time. Thinking, I'm going to do that one day. And, I'm, and I already knew I was late. I, already, I, already, I always knew I was starting late. So like, I, I, don't, I don't have time to make mistakes. I've always been late. I started comedy late. Yeah. I, I stayed back in first grade. I fucking, <laughs> it well, took me forever to get through college. I, I, I became a dad late. That's how I feel. Yeah, like, like, always, always behind. I, I'm the eighth kid of eight. And so right. I started kindergarten at like whatever. I mean, I graduated high school. And, and I, my first week of college, I turned 18. So, but right. I was, so I was always the youngest kid in my class and I always felt like I was behind everybody because at first and second grade, you know, 10 months is a huge difference yes. in development. So my, my, my sports came a little later. Like I had brothers that were great athletes and I was where I should have been, but I felt like I was way behind where I should be, you know? So I always felt like I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And the drumming thing was the first time I ever was at least prepared to be late. You know, like right. I knew. All right. Hey. I got to do the uh, the advertising here. All right. Oh, but up, up, up. Beyondies, beyondies. No more sweaty balls. Beyondies, beyondies. Steve Gorman used to work at a mall. Um, all right. <laughs> Selling it. I don't know. Ghost, ghost noises. Yes, please give us your rendition of what ghost noises are. Uh, that's your piece of shit old house settling. It's a galvanized pipe that's about ready to burst. That's been my experience. It's the most wonderful time of the year, Halloween. 
It's the most wonderful time. Remember when planning your costume as a kid was like the most fun you could have pre-Christmas. And now that you're an adult, Halloween feels less Halloween-y. Am I right? Let's say people say, am I right? Well, MeUndies is bringing back the childlike joy of picking out the perfect costume with their spooky prints and Halloween costume onesies. That's right, costumes onesies. Boo. Uh, that's what they wrote there. They're spooky soft, like designed to be the best thing you've ever put on your body soft, like softer than a fluffy kitten dressed up in a pumpkin costume. Pumpkins are rather hard in my world. Uh, Like softer than the brains zombies love to eat. Uh, Well, you get the idea. These are the softest undies known to man, and they're also available in all sizes, extra small to 4XL, soft for all. If you don't feel like leaving your house... That's cool, too. Just wear the Halloween costume onesie to pass out candy, and you're good to go. MeUndies has a great offer for my listeners for just first time, for first any first-time purchasers, get 15% off and free shipping. This is a no-brainer, especially because they have 100% satisfaction guarantee. To get your 15% off your pair, free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash Burr. That's MeUndies.com slash Burr. All right. Lastly, but not leastly, Helix. Helix? Um, there's nobody on the planet like you, Snowflake. So why would you buy a generic mattress built for everyone else? Next, please mention all the talking points below. I always do. If you type it, I will read it. Helix. Helix? Sleep is, uh, sleep built a quiz. Wait. Helix Sleep built a sleep quiz that takes two minutes to complete, and they use the answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to your perfect mattress. Uh, whether you're a side sleeper, a hot sleeper, gross, like a plush or firm bed with with Helix, there's no more guessing or compromises. Just go to helixsleep.com slash burr, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. For couples, Helix can even split the mattress down the middle, providing individual support needs and feel preferences for each side. Helix Sleep was even awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by GQ and Wired Mattress, and CNN called it the most comfortable mattress they ever slept on. Well, Lord knows they slept on it during the last election. Oh, Bill, when are you going to let it go? Those bastards, they should have hyped Bernie Sanders. Uh, they have a 10-year warranty, and you can try to get... you What? They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it for 100 nights risk-free. There's too many small words in that sentence. Fucked up my brain. Right now, Helix is offering up to $125 off mattress orders for our listeners. Get up to $125 off helixsleep.com slash burr. That's helixsleep.com slash burr for up to $125 off your mattress order. Helix, helixsleep.com slash burr. And so anyway, getting back to that first session, I said to the guy, look, I don't know what I'm doing. He goes, well, just we just got to find a pocket. And I was like, okay, cool. What's that? And he goes... The pocket. You just find a groove and stay there. I go, oh, well, I can do that. And we played the song a few times, and he came out. We played him the song. Mm-hmm. And he goes, dude, you're fine. Just do exactly what you just did. And, right. and just don't just, – if you don't speed up and if you, don't slow, if you can play steady, it's going to be fine because he's a good producer know what to do. I probably played four or five takes, and he goes, you're done. Drum track's great. We got it. And I, you know, I'm like, holy shit, that went well. Well, this is easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can do this. Well, how many comedians kill their first time on stage? And then, and then, you know, I've done that. I got up at Zany's in Nashville, yeah. jumped up, 
and had a 10-minute thing, and I was like, holy shit, I could be a comedian. And then I went back, and it was awful. <laughs> and I was well, like, no, I couldn't. Well, the, the second time you went up, were you thinking about the first time? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, I so thought then, I got Then you're this. not present. Of course. I, I, did that, uh, I did that this past weekend. <laughs> I do that. Yeah, you just like, yeah, you you're still, like, oh, my you God, st- I got two hours <laughs> of new material. Wait a minute. It's 17 minutes. Yeah, right. Because you just, <laughs> yeah. you're not like, uh, you kind of get out of that flow. But um, to get back to the book, um, like, uh, I know you've told all those stories and everything. What, what just for something different. What was the high point for you? Like, what gig? You're sitting back there. The band's just on. It's the the album, the gig, or whatever. Where you were just sitting there, going like, "Wow, look at this thing that we built." I can't the, believe. The summer of '93, we were we were in Europe doing festivals and and headlining like Glastonbury and all these giant festivals. Wow. And um, we had uh, so we go we go from festival to festival. Backstage, it's all trailers, and we carried a giant tent with us that was bigger than this room. It was like a military tent for the generals to hang out in. Okay. And we attached it off the trailer. And it was, we had rugs down, beanbag chairs, lava lamps, hookah <laughs> pipes, stereo the size of a fucking, you know, you could run a, a gig through it. it sounds I mean, awesome. I mean, we filled it with vibe. And everywhere we went, that was where all the band, other bands would congregate. They'd come over. We had cases of beer and all liquor. And, and it was just, <laughs> it was the central location backstage. So, there, there were shows where I'd be sitting, I'd be in there, I'm drinking a beer, it's four hours before we're even going to play. And there's like Sinead O'Connor and a couple guys from Def Leppard and, and some European dance band I've never heard of is on the bill, and then some German punk band, and then a kid from Ugly Kid Joe. Right. And they're all in our tent. And, every, and, we're, you know, and we were always very, despite being a pack of drunken wolves most of right. the time, in those settings, we were always hospitable. We did have that weird Southern, like, oh well, oh well, come on in. You gotta, you gotta put out a spread, right? And we always had that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you might get yelled at in there, but we were gonna, you yeah. were gonna come in and drink our beer. And there, but there was also in play a little bit of the power dynamic of look what we had. You know, we were feeling it. But those that whole summer, there was that feeling of like. I mean, you're headlining Glastonbury on our second album. It was like, motherfuck, man, we're, we have made it. You know, yeah. like this is, and the band was at its best. Like it was all clicking right then. Could you think stuff like that during a show? Like, wow, this show's going really good. Or would you be worried that that would zap you out of whatever zone you were in that you were playing? No, I, I, I was in a different, I didn't think of it in those terms. I mean, I would, res- you could see a crowd response and you could see, uh, either good or bad, but it was. But no, in those days, I was way more. I stepped into a bubble zone that was all Just about what in. it was locked in, and I'm listening to everybody else. Every single, every stroke is the most important thing I'm ever going to do. Right. You know, if I break a stick and getting another stick out of the bag, either right or left, if that means I'm dropping, uh, if I'm not going to hit that snare with full force. There's only one person in a field of 60,000 people that knows it, and it's me, but it fucks me up. Wow. You know, the other guys in the band wouldn't even know. But I'd be like, motherfucker, you know, just uh, so. I mean, then the second the show's over, it's gone, and I'm out, and I don't even remember what happened. And wow. so when the band was, when, we, when I had gigs like that, that's, mm-hmm. that is to me, that's what it was all about. It was never about, look at those people cheering. That was great. Right. And, of course, I like that. I prefer them to have a great night than not. But the thing that you can never replace and the thing that the, once the band lost it could never get back is that there's an essence to six people going on stage and all going into some weird cocoon 
And when it's over, not only is the audience really thrilled and happy, but we just did something I can't talk about in a linear fa- place. And then in about 10 minutes, I'm not even going to remember it. Would it's like, a, got, dr- it's like guys, a drug trip. It really is. It's that was like, a collective feeling, too. And you guys yeah. would get off stage like, dude, I'm, uh, yeah. what we, the we, fuck? Could, we could walk to the stage having fights and arguments and really, really, I mean, literal punches being thrown. And go, go fuck yourself. Well, that's a walking to the stage. Really? Well, if I'm such a pussy, take a shot, motherfucker. And Ladies and gentlemen, the Black Crows. Truly. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> We'd be, you came to see us at uh, Bottle Rock in 2013, Festival in Northern California. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and you walked up to the stage with us. You, you, I don't know if you remember no, this. No, I remember. And you were going. That doesn't happen to me a lot. And you were yeah. going, you, are you, you're just going to go play? Don't you need some time? And oh, I that's was like, right. You were just shooting the shit and I was like, And I was like. Dude, what? We're gonna I've played yeah. a few gigs. And and then I was talking to you and the crowd everybody else in the band's already walking to their places and I'll I'll see you in a bit. And you were looking at me like, What are you fucking doing? Yeah. But I was like, It's what we do, you know? And, no, and, it, and it, it and it was but but I mean, but there's been those exact same moments where you'd have seen either the brothers or even sometimes me and with Chris going, No, I tell you what, how about this? How about you go fuck yourself? And then, and then walk, and then walking out to start the show. And it didn't matter because you get a couple songs in, and if it's going well, there could be moments where between songs, Chris and the, the brothers were to be arguing, right? And then I would go, hey, why don't you both fuck off? You're both wrong, okay? Mm-hmm. There's, there's 20,000 people here that don't care about you or you. What they care about is the next song. Can we start it? And then they'd both go, fuck off. And then I would just count it in. You know, you, it, now, what happens and, and as then, far and then, as... And then halfway through that song... Chris is everyone's smiling again because something could have happened that immediately it's over. It's gone. Didn't mean a thing. That's what I was going to ask. If you play and he's like what you're playing, even if you just said, go fuck yourself. Is he going to turn around and smile? Does that, that feel, so that feeling transcends all the the bullshit during at the best of times. Yeah. In the mid nineties, we would go up and down throughout a gig and you'd have a high and then a low and then a high and a low. And if it ended on a high, if, if, if by the encore, everything was right back where it was supposed to be, it, nothing else mattered. All right. Can you tell the story? This is one of my favorite that blew me away is the, uh, when you guys were opening for the stones, how well the Rolling Stones have exiting a, f- a football <laughs> it's, it's, stadium. It's, it's amazing. They, we we're playing in, in Europe in 95 with the stones on the voodoo lounge tour. And and uh, and we did we finished with two nights in Basel, Switzerland, and so after the at the end that of the tour, doesn't sound real. I know Basel, Switzerland. They said, "Hey, you know, come back to our hotel, and you know, we'll hang." Like Woody, Ron Wood, is like, "Come over, and we'll have a we'll have a drink," you know, and which a dr- which means a lot more than a drink. And so we do our set. They're playing their show, and then at some point, about twenty minutes before their set ends, we're told just be at behind, you know, be on stage and be ready to await instruction. And, uh, and <laughs> this is so cool. And, and so we're, you know, you're, well, for, for one thing, we're, we're standing on the side of the stage. We're, and they had a scrim that came down right behind the drum kit, a black scrim that was like a two way mirror, essentially. The audience just saw a black wall, but you could stand right behind it and see everything. Wow. So I would stand, I was n- this close to Charlie Watts, but, but invisible. He's I was right behind Basically him. doing an arm's length. I'm right behind Charlie Watts for shows. And Keith would come over. And stand in front of Charlie, facing Charlie. So Keith is looking directly at me, essentially. Right. And they'd lock in for an entire song, and I'd just stand there. And and when they lock in, it it's 1972 all over again. Yeah. And I just and I actually there's a story. Charlie's got that a, old Gretsch kit, right? Same kit. There's yeah. a story in the book 
where, where me and Rich are standing there and they do Monkey Man and Keith never moves. He stares at Charlie for the whole song. He never, they just grooved. And me and Rich just looked at each other and didn't say a word, but we had a real thing of like, man, we're like that. Like that, that's, we understand that. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's a, even saying it now, man, I can still like get goosebumps. Like there, we had those, they had that thing and then we were like, man, fucking when we're on, we got, you know, it's this really great beacon to us. Like, let's go be those guys. And so, Anyway, all this to say, so after one of these gigs, there's, there's 10 minutes left in the show, and then they go, okay, come on, Black Crows, you, how many are you? You know, it's like, it's the band, and if anyone had their wife or girlfriend, I guess, but, um, you know, it's whatever, they, they bring us down off the back of the stage, and there's this fleet of Volkswagen vans, and that's the tour sponsor, so that's, right. they're all there, and, and they just go, okay, you guys are all in those back two vans, and it's like 12 vans. In, in two rows of two, you know, uh, six, there's two, two by side, six deep, mm-hmm. 12 vans, or maybe it was 10, but whatever. That's what it looked like. And we just get in the back two vans of the entourage and we're like, huh, this is interesting. And we're just sitting there in the dark behind, mm-hmm. behind the stage. And you can still Stones hear the playing. They're yeah. playing, you know, they're doing, they finish with Jumpin' Jack Flash and it's like, it's mm, going, it's going. And then, dun, 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 dun. And then you hear this, these fireworks start shooting up from, we're in between the back of the stage and where the fireworks are being launched from. So to my left, I'm seeing firework guns just going, and it's like a fourth, it's not six of them, it's It's like 600 of them. And then to the right is the back of the stage, and you hear a stadium of people going crazy, and then you can hear like, oh, the, the noise is done, it's just fireworks, they're taking their bows. And then all of a sudden, like the whole area we're in becomes lights, lights up, like, like, you know, all these lights go on around us and down the steps from the back of the stage. Here comes Mick. Here comes Keith. Every one of those guys has his own van oh my God. with like his personal assistant or whoever the singers have. They, they fill in the rest of the vans mm-hmm. and it's like they're all moving. They're hustling and they're surrounded by people hustling them. And the fireworks are still going up. Right. <laughs> and the crowd is still going through the whole stadium is awash in light and fireworks. And then. I hadn't even noticed this, but the the the, on, the the vans are surrounded by police cars and motorcycles, and I got on one count, every one of them hits all their flashing lights. So suddenly we're like, "What the fuck?" We're surrounded, right. and the entire motorcade pulls out of the back of the stadium, and and we're there's like a a a, 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 a one lane road that we're on. And then all of a sudden we're on a, a bigger like an access road, and then up a ramp onto an interstate, or like a highway in Switzerland. All of the roads are blocked off. There's no other traffic. And all the and fans are still watching the they're fireworks. They're still screaming and watching fireworks. Ugh. And within a minute of the first police light turning on, we're pulling onto a highway. The enti- and so it's, it's, it's a dozen, if not 20, police cars, you know, cars and motorcycles. We get onto a highway that the exit, you can see, they've blocked off the highway. So when we get on the exit ramp, there's no traffic coming. The whole next stretch of road is blocked off. There's no access. And we're going, we are driving at a hundred miles an hour in a tight blue angel like formation. <laughs> and I, and we're, and we're, none of us are saying a word. We're all just going, what the fuck? Yeah, and, you feel and, like you're in the born identity. Yeah, for real. And just whoo, down the highway for about six minutes tops. And then right off a ramp, all the roads through the town of Basel blocked off. Every road we're on is there's light can be red, doesn't matter. Woo, we go right through it, and then we just pull up outside this building that's an unmarked. 
It just looks like an old 200-year-old wall fortress thing. And all the, all the vehicles just stop. And then the door opens and we just step out. And then all the stones and all the, everyone's on the sidewalk. Like, and they're just all already a million miles away. This is, this, is them, this is our version of slowly walking to our bus. You know what I mean? Right. And then they, we walk into this, through this door that's unmarked. And then we're in a courtyard. And it's just this, they called it a hotel. But it's really just like a, a, a palace residence where just the Rolling Stones stay when they're in town, apparently. And Woody had his own apartment, a multi-level. It was like bigger than my house in Atlanta where he lived for Jesus. his four days in town. And we went up there and had a great, great night with him. And then uh, the, uh, Mick didn't come up, but everybody else did by the end. And Mick and Charlie weren't there. Everybody else was. But just that, that was just one blip. Mick probably of, went to go do cardio. The, I'm sure he did. Um, that was one blip. I mean, and again, the whole, the, 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 the thing was, it's not just, isn't it cool to be rolling with the stones? It was just a question of, we thought we had gotten to some great level. And that, that was like this thing of like, oh, wow, we're, we're still just on the first lap of world as a big band. You know, we're, it was just an incredible thing to like, I just that's, love the that's their everyday life for 50 years. But the genius of the fireworks show, so you're still entertaining them. Yeah, you don't get stuck in that because they literally cause a ridiculous traffic jam. They get out of that and the, yeah. just the efficiency. Yeah. And yeah. I, I loved it in the book because you it really just described the way you just it was actually better to hear you say it this way but just to like the way it was just like we were behind the stage and then boom everything just happened and, and like your head spinning and yeah. then all of a sudden you're just sitting there and Keith's eating his shepherd pie yeah it t- like oh t- nice nice show man well I mean we were and, laughing and you're about, in some we, fucking castle that you would have driven by and never uh, even seen never even seen it we um uh, we by the time we got to Woody's room I promise you forty of the fifty thousand people in that stadium were still. They're just waiting Walking for the out. waiting for the you know to to get some leg room to move. They're still just slowly in the aisle, you know, and you're just standing there bumping into the guy in front people of you. People trying to get backstage to yeah, meet the band. Yeah, exactly. Like, Dude, yeah, they're yeah, already they're gone. They're was, in a castle. You're it, never going to find. You can't find it. Yeah, it they're already fantastic. on their second sandwich. It was hilarious. Oh my god, that's a because I, uh, I I remember uh, I well I remember Bill Cosby was told the story one time about uh um how George Carlin had like the record as far as like a performer getting out of a venue. Oh, really? Like they would still be like, he would be like, I guess already paid. Yeah. And it was like, you know, thanks a lot. You guys are great. All right. See you later. And it was just right out the door in the car and gone. Like he was fucking gone. Like they were, they were still clapping and he was fucking out of there. I thought that that was cool. And then, uh, yeah, to see that, I was just like, I mean, that's really, I mean, that's like a a presidential motorcade you were in. Oh, a hundred percent. Traffic doesn't exist. That's right. Rules don't exist. You can drive whatever you you want. And, and I mean, just imagine, and that's the stones. I mean, I, I, what what does you two do? I mean, there's a, these bands that are just at that place where there's no getting your arms around how big they are. It's like, you just think about, I saw the other day, uh, something about you know Edge has his mountaintop in Malibu compound or wherever he lived out there, and I just thought about it. I was like, what does the Edge do? Like, he just—I'm sure he's got a helicopter to get to town. I mean, you just see <laughs> these guys all get, do. Of course, you get to this point where like nothing really applies to you anymore. But then I, what my thing about that is, I don't understand where, what place do you write from then? When it's like at some point you got to have some dick cut you off in traffic. This fucking asshole today that caused me my own impatience caused me to fucking scratch the rim of my fucking car. And I, I don't know. Um, hey, <laughs> you're also a big sports fan, so uh, I enjoy believe s- it or not, we're, we are racing. We're almost halfway through the fucking NFL regular season, which as I a, hate how fast it goes. We're see, already six games in out of a 16 game schedule. As a Tennessee Titans fan, I hadn't noticed. 
Oh, I know. You guys have... What do you think of the new uniforms? I like them. Eh, I don't care. They suck. I, I mean, know. I mean, win, win football games, and then I'll tell you, you look good. Well, are you guys 6-0? and Yes, but we haven't. We have, we've had like Alabama's September schedule so far. Yeah, right. I mean, we right. played the Dolphins, the Jets, where their quarterback uh, had mono. Yeah. Just hilarious. Like he went to a prom or something. That's great. Uh, played the Redskins. We played the Steelers the first week. Ben was in that week. That was probably our best one. And then we played, oh, the and then, and then, and then we played Buffalo, who was 3 and 0, and it was, it was, uh, it was a, Hard fought win. So you said something about Steelers and Patriots just reminded me. You know, we met because you did my podcast in New York City the first time we met. That's right in that hotel room. Yeah, you came in and and did when I was doing a Steve Gorman Sports podcast, and we talked a lot about the Patriots and the Steelers and that. Yeah, that's like ten ten years ago. Yeah, and and we've I think we okay. we haven't lost to them since then. They beat us one time in one of those horseshit. It's not a catch, but it was a catch. Yeah, right. And just for whatever reason, it's just some teams just. Do well against other teams like uh, the Dolphins always beat us at home, and the Broncos have always fucking uh, just been killing us. You know, I, I forgot. I haven't even said where people can get this. Where they can go to Barnes and Nobles. You can get off your fucking ass and go down to a bookstore. You Hard can do to that. handle the life and death of the Black Crows by Steve Gorman. Uh, it's wherever you get books. It's literally it's. And it's what everywhere. about people that have like the iPad but you read books with? Yeah, them? Kindle. yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it's that still oh, a yeah, thing. Absolutely, Kindle's a thing. The audio book is a thing. I read it. I'm, I'm the voice uh, of the book. If you need thirteen and hours and 30 well you sent this thing to me and i i read, you read it you read it very fast when you first got back to me and i was I, doing a movie too i thought i maybe was really busy and i just kept i would stay up till te- three in the you morning you texted me and i and i the first text i went is this is he fucking is there a punchline to this because you were like i'm halfway through and you, i was like i just sent it to you yesterday or whatever it was and i was like well it's oh, no, never really digging it you guys were all such characters yeah and so Everybody in the band, you didn't, you couldn't really gauge what anybody was gonna do. Yeah. From is this guy gonna fucking flip out and throw something to? Is this guy just gonna quit out of nowhere? Mm-hmm. That it, it had that thing, you know, when you binge watch a show. Yeah. It's like I yeah. binge watched the book. Well, it's funny because you know, there's a whole the 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 band went after, at the end of 2001. The band went away, came back in 2005, and then it went from five to 13, with a couple years off in 11 and 12. And I've had a lot of people say, like, man, why didn't you spend so much time on that second part? And I'm like, just fatigue? It's just the same yeah. stories, just change the names. We had, right. a, we had a different guitar player. What's your favorite story that didn't make the book? Were you just like, ah, fuck, I got to well, cut well, that? Well, there's a whole chapter that I took out because it really doesn't – it's a standalone episode. Right. And I wrote it. I, I wrote uh, the book. I wrote, like, three times what is the final book. So I've got a shit ton of more material. But there's an entire stand. It was easy to edit it because it just has nothing to do really with anything else. But we got sued by a guy. Um, in, in the, uh, I'll tell it really quickly. In 1989, we we made our first album in the summer of '89. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's in the can. It's finished. It's done. And then our bass player Johnny Colt one day goes, "Hey, a, a friend of mine. He's the tour manager for the Georgia Satellites." And the satellites are kind of done for now. But they rehearse in his house in his basement. He's got a PA. He's got a drum kit got the whole thing i played him the record he loves it and he said if we ever want to rehearse in his house we free rehearsal anytime and so now we're at a place where our advance from the label was five thousand dollars jesus that's what we got to make shake your money maker so that didn't last long uh that's a, keg- I, that's a kegger and and, and, and and by the way we didn't get it for months when i got my one thousand dollars advance i went to the record store i worked there and i put in my two weeks notice 
And three weeks after I quit, I had to go back to work because I'd spent the thousand dollars. I was oh, like, God. I, was, I quit on Halloween and I was back at Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> hey, guess who's back? And then the day Shake Your Money Maker was released, I was there putting it in the bins. The day it came out, I was still working at a record wow. store. And how, how much how much later before you could uh We well we hit the road like three weeks later and then I never came home. I mean we were just out. Did you have a manager that believed in you or is he like, oh, yeah. he'll be back? No, no, no. I mean oh, oh at the ma- oh, at the bookstore? I mean at the record store? What was the name of the record store? It's called it's called Wax and Facts. It's in Little Five Points in Atlanta. It's still there. I wow. still go there every time I'm in town. The owner, Danny Beard, a dear friend. The manager, Sean Bourne. I lived in his house for a while. I'm still great. I, it's, it's, it's like I have to go. It's like a, if I'm yeah. in town, I have to go at least walk in and say hi. I can't not. It's my last job. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Great, great guys. Um, all right. Well, we got, you got to get this book. You got, you got another one? Well, let me tell you, I didn't finish the story. Real quick. Oh. But, but it I just thought a- it was cool you were working at yeah. a record oh. store putting your fucking thing in. Sorry. Well, the whole point was this guy that we rehearsed in his basement a couple times and he's a fun guy English dude he's like oh I love your band you're fantastic and, yeah. and you, you can't sense you can't sense when an English guy's an asshole for a while that accent yeah. works it's, yeah. it's pretty charming he starts to say look satellites are done I want to manage you and we're like you want to manage us and we didn't have a manager yet and we said no we're, we're going to get a real manager like a big time guy which is who we ended up getting Pete Angelus who was amazing mm-hmm. but so, so, through the fall of 89 we rehearsed at this guy Kevin's house and then we said well dude you can be our tour manager that's what you do he kept begging us I want to manage you I want to manage you I want to manage you we kept saying no 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 and uh, this whole thing went down where uh, we had to actually kind of get in his face and go hey motherfucker the, you're not a part of this you're starting to piss us off but we also didn't want to lose free rehearsal. <laughs> so, right. so we were navigating this thing. No one ever said, okay, you'll do it. But we did say you can be our tour manager. But not manager I, manager. Not, man, not at all. And in fact, he was with us the night we met Pete. He was there when we hired Pete. And yeah. Pete said, you already have a tour manager who's done it? Fucking great. Right. Like Pete was thrilled we had this guy. So for people listening, tour manager, he's the guy who sets up your travel. Yeah, well, make sure back, when well, the back, fireworks are going off, dri- everybody well, gets well, in the van. Well, well back then, this is what he drive the van. Settle right. with the club, get them to a hotel. Pretty simple. It's Fisher Price management skills right. in that time. But he's not making business decisions. No, none, none whatsoever. Okay. He is given direct orders from the manager, right. and he just—he's a logistics guy. Right. Um, at that at that time, very simply. Now you get to a point where the tour manager is huge, but when you're a brand new band on your first tour, it's 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 real easy. Long story short, he quit. His girlfriend had a baby. He didn't know she was pregnant. You can mull that one over for a minute. Big shock to him. He quits. We say, thank God we dodged a bullet. Wait, he's cl- wait, wait. We don't have time. Until, You're a busy man. Wait, until he had a... Until she- we, had, we had a record release party in Atlanta. Her We're, water broke, and that's when he realized she was pregnant. He realized she was pregnant when her friend called and said, come to the hospital. She's having a baby. How long had it been since he'd seen her? She was drinking with us that night at our record release party. She fat? She's not a small woman. But the point is... <laughs> He quit. This is a whole other podcast. Didn't feel the baby kicking. It's a whole other podcast. Wow. And 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 I remember thinking, what kind of guy lives with a woman that doesn't know she's pregnant? Like she didn't tell him. She kept it from him. Anyway, that's not my story to tell. My story to tell is he sued us a year later and said that we had made him a partner in the band and he was entitled to one sixth of all the profits from Shake Your Moneymaker. Uh, and he based his lawsuit on a doodle that I drew on a napkin with a Sharpie. And he said that was our contract. And that went 
from me in 1989 sarcastically making fun of him for being an emotionally overwrought asshole to him putting us into a courtroom. And it went all the way. And in 1996, we were on court TV for two weeks defending ourselves against this guy. Please tell me you won. Hung jury, six to six. So that means you... And then we, we had to settle. We just settled with him. That's why they do it, because they know you end up, you end up having to and, settle. And, and we had a it was It's an incredible whole... But anyway, but that whole story in the book is like a standalone chapter. It really doesn't move the narrative of anything, so it was easy to take out. It's like its own separate island. Did you ever get to talk to that guy and be like, really? Yeah, oh yeah. Well, you he kept, he was shit. threatening to, and it, we'd see him around town. I was like, Kevin, I had a project like that. What are you that? fucking doing? Not what? What is wrong with and you? What, dude? what did he say? Look, man, I'm owed. I'm owed. And of course, I'm like, you. We met you after the record was done. You quit before it was released. So you were entitled to a sixth of our debt at that time. If anything, we were ninety grand in the hole to the label. What the fuck are you talking dude, about? I did something. I'm He's not going to say mind. what it was, but I did something a, a while ago. And the one guy involved in it, uh, none of us made any money. Mm -hmm. And the only guy who made money was the guy who fucked up everything and then sued us. So he actually, we, <laughs> yeah. not only did we not yeah. make money off this thing, we ended up losing money. This guy was like, I didn't want to talk about it. All I know is the premiere for the thing, he uh -huh. showed up with a giant like gash on his forehead because <laughs> he had gotten shit-faced at his house and fell in face-first into the fireplace. Oh, my God. And told nice. us that yeah. while he was in, like, I'm going to sue you mode. Yeah, yeah. You know, so in how it works in show business, and anything has any litigation attached to it, it won't move forward. He knows that, so he knows we have to settle. And it was just like, there's always yeah. that fucking guy. Yeah. Look, man, I'm, I'm old. Oh, hey, you know, well, I'm a fuck-up. Yeah. And you guys are going to do something with this, and who's going to take care of me? So what killed me is our whole thing went away. Yeah. Nothing happened. And this fucking asshole, you know, he made, the, like, he made like fucking 10 grand. He's the guy in Goodfellas that they finally just slit his throat. Like oh, Maury's, Maury's, Maury's wig. Maury, that's, that's why you got to love the mob. <laughs> that's right. My buddy, uh, Verzi always says that. I swear to you, if the guy was in the mob, he'd get fucking whacked. Yeah. And it's, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of the problem yeah. with a lot of stuff. Well, before you get out of here, one of my favorite Steve Gorman moments um, other than watching you play live was when you did uh, the Dean Del Rey stand-up and uh, his birthday thing where you played like... Oh, uh, the ACDC gig. Yeah, the ACDC yeah. gig. And I remember everybody showing up, geek, having like a good time. You just fucking show up like you, like the deadpan. How are you? What's going on? And then uh, Dean's like, hey, man, you ready to rock? And hey, this is going to be a great time tonight. And you just said, a great time. And you just pointed out to all the empty seats. You go, you see, out, see that out there? That's going to be fucking carnage tonight. <laughs> this is fucking we're gonna lay waste to these people i was just like jesus christ and then i was watching you play i was having such a fun time watching yeah. you play i forgot that uh i was gonna have to sit in for one that you had to play yeah, yeah 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 which we're not gonna talk about that part but uh you fucking like i already was uh such a huge fan of your playing but to watch you play different material mm -hmm. to see uh oh how, how does how was he in this environment and yeah. just totally nailed the phil yeah. rudd thing man it was fucking it was incredible. It's a, it's a oh, night I will, I, will, I will never forget. Well, we so. need to do it again is what we need to do. Well, there Dean, are, Dean's cooking up something. He's, he's definitely cooking up something. Yeah. There's an anniversary of something coming up, and yeah. he's throwing some names around. And uh, I got to – that reminds me. I should call him to make sure that I'm not on the road when that goes down because I, I, I definitely want to see that. But uh, I'm, I'm so happy for you, man. You got the Steve Gorman Rocks. You got the new Trigger Hippie album. Steve Gorman Rocks is a classic rock radio show on Westwood One Cumulus. It's syndicated nationwide. Trigger Hippies album, Full Circle and Then Some, came out last week. It's available everywhere you get music. 
And hard to handle. And hard the to handle. The life and death, of the, the and death of the black crows. The fucking greatest rock book I ever read. Thank as far you, man. Is like. And by the way, the I greatest, know it's your version. The greatest. I know it's your version. It but is. You gave me. You know, but you, your, sir, your version. you, William, provided the greatest blurb. And I, I can't tell you how many, I've done so many interviews, and they go, the Angela's Ashes of Rock Bios. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> says that's the greatest thing I've ever read. It's on the well, back if, of the book, your quote. It's incredible. If you never read Angela's Ashes, it was about this kid, Irish kid. It's amazing. Growing up in Ireland, and it was just this heartbreaking story of, of his dad was just a raging alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. and it, but every once in a while, he would, like you guys, he'd turn yeah. it around, yeah. turn around. Yeah. Hey, by coming, Bill, going out with Jimmy Page, right? Yeah. He would fucking get some money, he'd get a job, and then that was the payday. Please just come home. Please come home and feed your family. Fix your kid's eye who's got the infection on his fucking eye. <laughs> yeah. And then it, he was supposed to be home 10 minutes ago. He was supposed to be home three. And it's just, and, but every time you had that hope, yeah. like there's no yeah. way the whole fucking, I forgot it was written by an Irish guy. Yeah. So I was like, there's no way the whole book can be this. And it yeah, was. No. Frank McCourt. Yeah, Frank McCourt. So, when, I saw, when you sent me that quote, I swear, yeah. man, I looked at it and I just, I was, I was overcome with warmth. I was like, that is the greatest compliment anyone will ever pay me for anything I ever do. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Incredible. Hard to handle the life and death of the Black Crow. Steve Gorman, thank you so much for coming on. Thank, thank you, you guys brother. for listening. Have a great weekend, you cunts, and I'll uh, talk to you on Monday. told me forever that I have ADD and I never bought into it and she finally went to the website and she read all the things dude and it was just like they might as well just had a picture of me sitting there not listening to somebody focusing it on some ant walking across the table um <laughs> before looking at something else do you have that problem I think a lot I think a lot of a lot of myself and a lot of my comedian friends have that yeah I think it's And do you think that that's why we think in bits Rather than scripts, I think it's because I think our minds constantly are going. You know, our minds are constantly going. Whether it's trying to be creative, whether it's thinking of this, whether it's being upset, we're just we can't concentrate. What I, I was a good student. What I, I would say a good student, but is I wasn't that a we're no different than anybody else who's scatterbrained, which is funny scatterbrained. Maybe you know what I mean? Yeah, maybe because they always try to attribute. That. Like they had something recently where they tried to say that, uh, you know, they did you know some study. You know, who the f nobody knows who the fuck did it was trying to say that, uh, you know, they interviewed all these comedians, you know, for this study to figure out what makes comedians funny. Now, immediately, I'm thinking any comedian worth anything is not going to be participating in that fucking thing. Or if they're new and they're struggling, they'll participate and they're going to give bullshit answers just to make their friend laugh and themselves laugh. Right. So they came up with this whole thing that, you know, comedians are all sociopaths or some fucking... Oh, I saw it. I didn't like, like... Yeah, that's ridiculous. It is because I'm not saying there aren't comedians who are sociopaths, but there's firemen, there's mothers, there's, there's all kinds of people that are... There's yeah. leaders of the world who are sociopaths. It just... What it is is they I think it's people who aren't funny. Only somebody who's not funny would try to figure out do that, yeah. why the fuck something's funny. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I wouldn't even know 
I wouldn't even, like when you were talking about that guy at the Yankee game who kept yelling out. They had this commercial where it was a bunch uh, of Yankee fans. You were saying that had spelt out Yankees across their, their chest, chest. And they were wrong. Yeah, and they were hammered or whatever, right? Or they just were wrong. They were just like, they were just in, not organized where it said Yankee. So it said Ansky. Ansky. So this guy at the game, anytime, anytime there was a lull in the game. Would out you, of nowhere. Would, what would you Yeah, it, it would, there would be a lull in the game. And he would go, hey, hey, what the hell is Ansky? And everybody would just start laughing. Yeah, and, every, and he knew when to do it. Yes. Like that guy, he had a, now that guy was not a comedian, but he had that comic timing when there was a lull in the game. Yeah, he knew. It wasn't important. Yeah. Time in the game. He knew probably when, if there was a TV timeout. Yep. You know, and he yep. wanted to keep the excitement going yeah. and people's focus. Like that some, you just, it's, it's like when I look at people who can like just fucking play an instrument unbelievably, play it by ear, you know. Um, that's obviously just a hobby for me. So I have a tremendous amount of respect for people who can do that shit, mm. but like they could never just break down. Like, he, would, they, would you just sit there and be like, now what, what makes this guy be able to play the guitar like that? It's just like, that's just, they're no, good at it. It's an envious nerd who can't do it. That's what it is. It's somebody who wish maybe they wish they could do comedy, but the fact that somebody would do a study saying comedians are all sociopaths, that person never picked up a microphone once in their life. And maybe, right. they, maybe they had an issue with a comedian. No, I'm not saying that I'm not a sociopath. But you, you know, you're a family man. You got two kids. Listen. You seem all right. Listen. Are you a psycho, Paul? Comedians might be narcissistic. Sociopath. I looked up the definition of sociopath. Okay. There's like 11 things or something like that that you could have. Dude, let's look this up Go right it now. up right now. Look this okay. up. One thing I know for hang a on, fact, antisocial parents is one of them. Okay. Parents who, but like, I mean antisocial. The world's out to get you. No, we're not going over there. They, they think this of us. We're not going over All there. All right. Check. Check one for me. What? Oh, yeah. My parents were like that. Hey, can I go on this field trip? No, Christ, I had a patient in the other day. He went on a field trip, and, and he fell off the bus. He's gone. He's gone. There's nothing you can do about it. That was one of my first jokes I did in my act. Whatever you wanted to do, my dad had a patient in the other day, and the kid died from it. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, he didn't want to drive us over to do it. No, my dad... <laughs> My dad would do now. It. I look at it; it's fucking hilarious. I wouldn't do it either with one kid. Forget about having fucking all the ones he had. Hang on a second. How to spot a sociopath? Wait, sociopath. Uh, sorry, with the bad mic here. Sociopath um, uh, uh, traits, which I misspelled. Spelled traits. How to identify a sociopath? Telling signs and behave. Oh, what the fuck? Why won't this work? Come on, man. My dad used to say people that when he disagreed with that, they were crazy. There we go. Oh, they're crazy. <laughs> they're crazy. <laughs> He's a sociopath. <laughs> All right, here we go. What is a sociopath who gives a fuck? Common traits. All right, the common characteristics and personality traits of sociopaths are based on the criteria used by clinicians who use the DSM. What the f Don't they realize morons want to read this? I don't give a shit. Just make a list. Yeah, there should be just a list there. They should. Dumb it down, right? One of the most common personality characteristics of sociopath is their grandiose sense of self-entitlement. Now, I don't have that. No, no. I go the other way. Um, sociopaths off, also often display a lack of remorse. Yep. And most have a very manipulative personality covered by superficial charm. Um, Jesus, I know a couple of those. Dude, I, 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 I know I a couple too. of these guys. Me too. All right, now wait a minute. So I'm not. No, dude, you're a narcissist who has ADD. Yeah. 
I would be that. Yeah, I would go with that. That's yeah. That's, I would totally yeah, go with yeah, that. Yeah, dude, you don't, dude. That's hitman shit. That's hitman. I don't have a. Put, I don't have a sense of self entitlement. No, dude. A hitman blows someone's brains out and goes eat a sandwich. That's a sociopath. Yeah, he gets mad that he got blood on his shirt, right? Yeah, that was that was that thing in Goodfellas when yeah. he goes, oh, "I'm sorry about your floor." That's that's it. That's right. what it is. I didn't want to get blood on the floor. Kind of fucked up people today. All right, friendships and romantic partners are often frequently disregarded and replaced when the relationship no longer suits their self-centered needs. The emotions of a sociopath. No, but even like the guy I was just thinking about, about being a sociopath, um, he doesn't have that. Well, I guess, can you have like most of it and then be a sociopath? What do you think there, Dr. Verzi? Not Dr. Verzi? Being I, talked to by not Dr. Burr? No, I think, what's it called? I, I think that it's the remorse thing, and I definitely think it's the first thing you said, the sense of entitlement. Like This is the cool one here. Look at this one. Jesus Christ. Cool like in like a reptilian, scary way. The emotions of a sociopath may appear to be sincere on the surface, cleverly disguised by super, superficial charm and feigned interest. Jesus yeah. Christ, that was me in every class, classroom I ever was in. Sitting there acting like you were interested so they no, wouldn't no, fucking call on you. Many sociopaths use manipulative measures to draw others to them. Chronic lying is a characteristic of nearly all sociopaths. Recklessness and aggressive behaviors are other characteristics as well as impulsivity. A lack of remorse. He already said that. Or what is generally termed conscience is typical for sociopaths. This guy's repeating himself. The combination of... At least three of the common sociopath characteristics paints a pretty good description of the common sociopath. Uh, I don't know. I actually lost interest halfway fucking through that. All right. We should. It's ADD. I didn't. wasn't even trying to be funny. That came out of my mouth, and I realized I just did that again. Well, no. Can, why don't you look up to look up a narcissist? See the difference. Because narcissist is a selfishness, but it's almost like a good guy selfishness. Yeah, but dude, I'm I'm a Gemini, so I have like I can be really like. I mean, I think my son's a Gemini, Lucas. But is a I Gemini. think I'm mainly a narcissist, but then I can be like really considerate and generous. That dude, Lucas, my son Lucas is a Gemini. He's got when you look at what a Gemini's traits are, dude, he he's every one of them. Oh, you Jesus know. Christ! When when are you taking out the crystal ball? All right, hang on a second. I love how I brought up fucking... What do you mean crystal ball? I love how I brought up Geminis, and then you start talking about signs, and then I act like you brought it up. Uh-oh. All right, hey, how do you spell narcissist? Come on, Paul. Let's, uh, let's show how dumb we are. N-A-R, narcissist. Narcissism. I would say N-A-R, maybe what? C-A, maybe? I would have gone with that if the right spelling didn't come up. Narcissistic... Traits, or... or, or be, be, let's go with behaviors. Narcissistic behaviors. All right. Because narcissists. narcissists have remorse. That's Do they? I, yeah, I think so. They feel bad. They suck. Oh, here we go. <laughs> I, find, I found one that's dumbed down. 30 red flags of being a narcissist. Here we go. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. All right. All right. You feel on edge around this person, but you still want to, but you still want them to like you. What is this? Wait, so let me, I got to figure out what the fuck, who, who is you in this? So what's the difference about this list? Well, for one, it's specifically about relationship, but it's also about you. Each point requires introspection and self-awareness because if you want to spot toxic people, you cannot focus entirely on their behavior. 
That's only half the battle. Oh, that's pretty cool. You must also come to recognize the looming red flags in your own heart. All right, so this is saying if you're in a relationship with a narcissist. Yeah, they don't have a list? They don't just have I, a list? I, I, Paul, I'm trying to make it easy No, here. no, they, I thought they said 30 lists, like 30 things, nothing? Um, well, maybe we can actually use our brains and just figure this out here. <laughs> where, okay, you feel on edge around this person, but you still want them to like you. Two, uses sex as a tool for control. Creepo. That's sick. Uh, plasters your Facebook page with compliments, flattery, songs, and poems. They text you dozens, if not hundreds of times per day. You come to rely on this over-communication as a source of confidence. Wow. Oh, so they give it to you, and then they take it away. You're not texting me four times a day. Did I do something wrong? Oh, then I'm Is that what they're doing? No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not that. No. I can't spell enough words to text more than 30 times a day. All right, quickly declares you their soulmate. I don't do that. Compares you to everyone else in their life. you just like my mother. Uh, lies. <laughs> you remind me of my Uncle Petey. Lies and excuses. Lies and excuses. That's everybody. No, no startle response. I, you know what the fuck? Can you just have a one for dumb people? All right, here we go. Red flag narcissistic behaviors. Jesus Christ, look at the bitch's fucking picture on this. Holy huh? shit. Is this about her or is she going to tell me? Okay. Extreme infatuation with oneself. Self-centered. Expects to be recognized <laughs> as superior. <laughs> All right, now you're getting... <laughs> now you're getting warmer. Is that you? Now you're getting warmer. No, I don't, I don't want to be superior. I mean, you know. Extreme infatuation with oneself. Self-centered. Expects to be recognized. Just picture somebody combing their mane. <laughs> In the, in the mirror. <laughs> uh, is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited power, success, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Sees himself as special. Dude, this is fucking hilarious. <laughs> and should only have to affiliate. Oh, shit. This is Let's, funny. This is a good one. <laughs> this is a great one. Sees himself as special. And should only have to affiliate with others of the similar stature. <laughs> Tell you, I should be friends with that Obama. I can't believe he hasn't called me yet. <laughs> That's fucking funny, man. Takes advantage of others. Oh. Takes advantage of others to achieve oh. his needs. Demonstrates that's an ugly one. The other ones are funny. That's Wait, just what's the ugly one? What's the one? Takes advantage of others to achieve his needs. I don't like that one. No. That other shit, just staring in the mirror, thinking no, you're just, the shit. No, just thinking you should be friends with everybody. Like <laughs> it was big. Uh, demonstrates a constant need for admiration or approval. Uh, <laughs> you know, my dad used to. He'd be upstairs shaving. Yeah. And it was sort of a joke, but he wasn't joking. But he yeah. was. It was funny. Yeah. We'd be downstairs eating breakfast or something, be up there getting ready for work, and he'd be shaving in the mirror. And then when he finished, you just hear him. He'd be like, "Good looking son of a bitch." <laughs> <laughs> and my mother would always laugh and shake her head. But I think that's more. She just liked a confident guy or something like that. So I think he. That sounds kind of like a joke. Like a half that's joke. A joke. Yeah, yeah. He's playing. But he's saying it out loud. But I actually, I, I do that. It makes Nia laugh all the time. Oh, I'll do it. I'll do that. Great. Um, I'll just be like, God damn it, I'm a good-looking guy. I'll just do yeah, shit like yeah, that. Yeah. Like, oh, shut up, right? Yeah. Um, 
There we go. Now, now everybody's going to text me what a fucking ugly bastard I am. Like, I don't know that already. Fuck yourselves. Um, demonstrates a constant need for admiration or approval. Exaggerates personal achievements while minimizing those of others. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. I want to be around this guy. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, it's great. It's great the way you came up with the game plan. But I was just the, the way that. I was cheering <sighs> in the crowd. Oh. I got this chant going. I tell you. I could see it in Tom Brady's face. He knew. Yeah. He knew by what I was doing in the crowd. that. Yeah. And then he tries to knock the other guy's chance. He, 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 called, he called an audible, you know, which I wouldn't have done. I would have stuck with the play. And then, no, but then it says he diminishes the other guy. That's yeah, the correct. other guy's chant was all right, but I got more of them going. Yeah. That, that's, I got and, and that guy came up to me at the end of the game and was he just said like, you were great. You, I, I don't usually say this, but you, you, <laughs> <laughs> you were amazing. <laughs> Keep going. This list is great. You know why this is? Is because this reminds me of so many guys I used to hang out with and gamble with and all that type of shit. Like all these guys, like this is a brutal. If you're a narcissist and you walk into a fucking casino, it's fucking brutal because you're going to walk in thinking you're James Bond and you have this system and you're going to take the whole fucking house down. Yeah, I got to tell you, there's nothing funnier than that one that you read that said that they think they're superior so they should only be hanging out with people that are superior. That is so fucking funny. It's fucking hilarious, yeah. Ugh. Um, all right. Is convinced that he slash she is unique. Yeah. I like how that just suggests that just takes it. We're all special. This website's like, no, you're not. <laughs> uh, feels entitled to special treatment and that rules frequently don't apply to him. <laughs> um, I don't have the first half, but I have the second half. Oh yeah. I have, I have problems with authority. I definitely do. I told you that story, right? Where I didn't, I told great. you that fucking, fucking story. Great. Oh yeah. I didn't get caught either. That's uh, great. My proposed love and marriage within only a few weeks might or may propose love and marriage with only with within only a few weeks of starting a relationship. That definitely wasn't me. Very charismatic or charming at first, but can quickly switch from Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde. This fucking lady. She, these are all just the same thing over and over again. Oh, wait. Panics, cries, begs and becomes emotional <laughs> if he anticipates an end to a relationship. <laughs> That's not I me. swear to God, I'll pay attention to you more. I was wrong. What do you want me to I do? I you. I was wrong. May harass or stalk you if you do break up. Oh, because he wants to be the one who breaks up. Uh, or she. Quick to anger or feel insulted or slighted. Rages with anger or inflicts the silent treatment when upset. Uh, ding, 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 ding. I got that. Quick to anger. I got that. I wouldn't stalk somebody. Denies he slash she has issues to work <laughs> to work on. <laughs> That's fucking sees himself herself as nearly perfect. <laughs> I fucking love this guy. This what are you so, talking about? So what are you talking about? That's so funny. Maybe you ought to work on yourself. Adapt around me. Um, drives recklessly and way too fast. Exaggerates the, exaggerates the truth or blatantly lies. Dude, I want to be around this guy. And just listening to him tell stories. This is the funniest shit. Rarely treats anyone with respect or kindness. Doesn't acknowledge. Doesn't acknowledge or respect others' boundaries. Always wants to be in control. May drink and drive regularly. Yeah, because he doesn't give a fuck about other people. His slash her need for attention, time, and space matter. Um, oh, his need for time, for attention, time, and space matter. Yours, your needs do not. Um, 
Let me just read one more of these before this gets boring. Uses sex as a weapon through withholding, controlling, or being overly demanding. I said, suck it. (laughs) It's the best dick ever. (laughs) Doesn't appear to have a conscience, does not take criticism well, and becomes easily defensive, is easily hurt and insulted. Jesus Christ. That's what well, that was a fucking hilarious list. Oh, really funny. I love yeah, that is funny though, huh? Uh, Sees themselves as fucking superior and should only be hanging around superior <laughs> beings. 